Good morning, Lifeway. How are you? It's good to be with you today. Please open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. I promise we'll get there in just a bit. It is an absolute joy to be with you guys. You know, Teresa and I were actually here uh, New Year's Eve, uh, right before we flew over to England uh, to begin our work with the church there. And so it's kind of funny how God works. This is our first time back from England in the United States. And where do we land? We're first at Lifeway. So this may be the portal to Europe that I found uh, to and from. I'd like to begin with a quote. And well, before I say that, let me just say this too. Um, Reese, thank you for your kind words earlier. Um, you know, it's, it's amazing the journey God puts us on and the people that God brings into our life at different times. And my family was going through a very difficult time when God brought Reese and Mary Kay into our lives. And so it, it's good for me to hear that I encourage you because I've told people, uh, so many people, what a, a great friend and a Barnabas uh, that you've been for me. And uh, certainly I, I'm very grateful. But during difficult times, you've got to reach out. You've got to reach out for help. And I remember even giving Joel Landy a call last year or year before, uh, reaching out during a difficult time. And I don't believe in coincidences, so only God incidents. So it's amazing to see you here today. And I know God's uh, rekindling something there. But uh, so great to be with you. Okay, back to my quote. Gandhi said this, Live as if you were to die tomorrow. Learn as if you were to live forever. That's one of my favorite quotes. It combines the urgency of life, that Tim McGraw, live like you were dying, that we aren't promised tomorrow. Jesus said, your life is a mist, right? But it combines that with the humility that Christ also proclaims. Oh, you okay? All right, you're going to pick up my breathing. Okay, very good. It also combines that with the humility. That, you know, Christ says, um, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. So the urgency of life, but the humility that we've not arrived yet. Has anybody arrived yet? You know, as we're trying to be disciples of Jesus, learners uh, to be like Jesus, until we're just like Jesus, Humility is something we need to hold near and dear. So the title of the lesson today is simply, Live and Learn. Live and Learn. Now the funny thing about that is, you have to live in order to learn, don't we? Someone once said to me, it takes about a year to get a year's experience. The only way to learn is to live. And yet often what happens is we make mistakes, we experience failure, and we shut down. We shrink back. We isolate, and we're no longer out there living. You know what I'm talking about? So the last quote I'll give you is from Winston Churchill. Although, probably as many ascribe it to Abraham Lincoln, so whether you like America or England, you know, you pick. But... 
Success is going from failure to failure with no loss of enthusiasm. You ever heard that one? Going from failure, I blew it. Failure, it didn't work. But with no loss of enthusiasm. Because again, that's what happens, is we mess up, we make mistakes, life takes a funny turn, and we tend to shrink back and shut down. But I believe with all my heart, that is not what God wants us to do. Are you with me, guys? God wants us to live and learn. Amen? So I have two points for you today. Number one, live for Christ. And number two, learn to love. Live for Christ and learn to love. Philippians chapter one. Ah, there it goes. There's a goose in here. Amen. Jeez. Okay. Philippians 1, verse 20, Paul says this. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain? Gain? Is, is that how we think about it? I remember the first time I read this, I thought, is there a typo? Because it's just not the way we think about life and death, is it? To think that to die would be gain. Reading on, it says this. If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. Is that the way we think about it? It's better by far. But it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this. I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. What an amazing passage uh, here. A uh, look, a glimpse into Paul's heart for ministry. You know, when we flew over to Manchester to, to, to meet the disciples there and to figure out, is this God's will? Is this what's best for, number one, the Manchester church? That was our heart. And secondly, is this what's best for Teresa and I and our family? Is this what God wants? And I, I was going to speak to them uh, on a Friday night, and I thought, gosh, what passage do you read in a situation like this? And I chose this passage. Because to me, this expresses the heart that Jesus had, the heart that Paul had, and the heart that I want to have about ministry. You know, Paul said, I'm torn. I'd rather depart. I'd rather go be with God. It's better by far. There was only one thing Paul mentions that convinced him he needed to stay on earth. It wasn't a new job. 
wasn't a new car. Well, I didn't have that back then, but, you know, a new, a new horse, I don't know, something. It wasn't the, the thought of marriage or having kids, all those things that we, we get to enjoy, and I believe God wants us to enjoy, right? But there wasn't anything on earth good enough to pacify Paul from wanting to go and be with his Lord. It was better by far. Why did he decide to stay? Because he was needed. Other people needed him to stay. He didn't stay for himself. He said, I'm going to stay so that through my being with you, I'm going to love you, I'm going to serve you, I'm going to boast about all God's done in my life so that you'll see what God's doing in your life so that your joy will overflow, your faith will overflow, and your boasting in Christ will overflow because I'm going to be there to encourage you. Is that incredible? To me, that's the only reason to be here on earth. That's the heart. The other day, you know, it's funny how you study things and you connect things sometimes. I was reading Mark 10 and looking at the rich young man. And I was thinking about this passage and that passage. And I thought, they're complete opposites, aren't they? Think about it. The rich young man comes to Jesus. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus tells him, well, just obey the commandments. You know the commandments. Do not steal, honor your father and mother, do not commit adultery. He goes, all those I've been keeping since I was a boy. I'm good. Well, how many of us have kept them all since we were a boy or a girl? <laughs> no. And so it's, the Bible says Jesus looked at him and loved him and said, one thing you lack. Do you know what that one thing he lacked was? He said, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Then you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. The one thing he lacked was treasure in heaven. He had plenty of treasure on earth. He was a rich man. And I, and I know, guys, as Americans, that's our challenge. We're so rich. We're so, even, even the poor among us, you know, then there are poor among us. But so many of us, we're so rich. We have so many treasures on earth, we don't think about heaven. We don't think about our treasure being there. The exact opposite of Paul. What did Paul say? Heaven is better by far, right? The only reason Paul stayed was for other people. Well, the rich young man, what happened to him? He went away sad because he had great wealth. But Paul's heart was different. And he issues treasure in heaven. You know, last uh, midweek, Wednesday night at midweek, the brothers did such a great job such a great job. And Rob was talking about this. He was talking about not putting your treasure on earth where thieves and moth, thieves break in and steal, moth and rust destroy. Don't put your treasure there. You know, people love their sports car till it wrecks. They love their house till it burns. They love their little girlfriend who's five foot two and eyes of blue till she cheats on him with his best friend. 
I mean, let's just be honest. What do we put our treasure in? Well, Paul said, put your treasure in heaven. One time uh, we were leading a church on the East Coast, and there was a family there that had come to know the church because their, their little boy was very ill, had leukemia. And they were at a hotel in another state, and because their little boy was not feeling well at all, they were walking the halls of the hotel, right, just try to cheer up their little boy. And they heard music. They heard singing. Well, it was our sister church worshiping at that hotel, singing songs in the service. It led them to the service. That's how they met our churches. That's how they met Jesus, studied the Bible, and they both got baptized. Later, their little boy seven years old, did pass away. But they're faithful to this day. And the man came to me one day and he said, Chris, when I die, I'm going to go to heaven. And I can't wait to meet Jesus. That's first. But right after that, I'm going to see Stephen. And he said, I have a little more treasure in heaven now to look forward to. I understand you guys lost a dear brother recently, Tommy. And I know Reese is, was really hit by it. Tommy's in a better place. He wouldn't trade with any of us. But now those of you that know and love Tommy, you have a little more treasure in heaven. You get to heaven, you get to see Jesus, and then you get to see Tommy. Where is your treasure stored? Don't store it up in things that are here today and gone tomorrow. One minister told me once, everything on earth is STBA, scheduled to burn anyway. <laughs> the only thing that's going to remain is you and me and our souls and eternity. And so even what Paul invested in on earth was still eternal. It was still souls. And he wanted to encourage them. Any of you guys ever watch Shark Tank? I love Shark Tank. You know, in England, they have a show, too. It's called Dragon's Den. No kidding. So in Shark Tank, so often people come in, hello, sharks, you know, and they, they pitch their thing. And often the shark will say, you know, and Lori will say this, Lori will say, you know, I have to really love the product, and I, I just don't get this, so I'm out. You know, <laughs> Right? But I got to say this, when it comes to the kingdom of God, I love the kingdom of God. And I, I'm, I'm all in. It's, it's my greatest joy on earth, is my brothers and my sisters, that I get to love and serve and see their faith grow and their joy grow and their boasting in Christ grow. That's what it's all about. Another way Paul said it in 2 Timothy 2 was he told Timothy, and the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable men who will be qualified to teach others, right? This message 
of the kingdom has to go forward, no matter what. So my hope today is I'm talking to a room full of reliable men and women that are going to live for Christ and learn to love and proclaim his gospel to everyone that needs it. And that welcome video said it all, didn't it? We look at the world, we think everybody's so happy, but they're not. They're not. Last week in Manchester, one of the brothers was preaching and he said, you know what social media does? It sounds better with an accent. He said, social media is for people that are miserable, miserable people that have mastered the art of looking happy. They're crying themselves to sleep, but then they get in front of some cool landscape and go, but they're miserable. And they need someone to come into their life. And God's going to put you in front of them so you can help them. Amen? Let's read on. Philippians 1, verse 27. You know, Paul said, if I'm going to stay on earth, it's going to mean fruitful labor for me. Reading on, verse 27, he says, whatever happens... Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. So first Paul says, hey, if I'm staying, it's going to be fruitful labor, right? But then he says... As we're doing that, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. So it matters what we do, and it matters how we do it. Not about you, but way back in the day when I went to school, I used to get a report card, and for every subject, it would have two grades. Does it still do that? You'd have one grade for geography, for the, the actual subject. And then you'd have another grade in that class called conduct. <laughs> do they do that anymore? Oh, they do. They still do that. Okay. So you may have an A in geography, but a C minus in conduct. And it's not going good with mom and dad that night, is it? It matters what we do, brothers and sisters. It does matter what we do. It's not just all about conduct and being nice. It's about the gospel. But it also matters how we do it. And Paul says, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. But then, it's very intriguing the next connection he makes. He says, if you're conducting yourselves in a manner worthy then whether I'm with you or whether I'm away, I'll know that you stand firm in one spirit. And, you know, some say striving as one. I love the NIV uh, 84. It says contending as one man. So part of our conduct is, is a group dynamic. Teresa shared about it in the, in the communion. It's not an individual dynamic. 
but it's that we're fighting together as one man. That's how important this is. We've got to work together in order to proclaim the gospel. And I don't know about you, but those that have been around a while, Teresa was baptized in 19, uh, can I say it? 1980. She was a freshman at Boston University. Three years later, she went on the mission team to New York City. Nine years later in 1990, it was that work that I got reached out to by, and I was baptized in 1990. And since 1990 to now, I'll say it again, I said it earlier, my greatest joy is my brothers and sisters. Now, without God, that's not happening. It's because of our mutual love for God. But what we get to experience in our relationships is absolutely incredible. That that band of brothers, that camaraderie, that, that, well, Jesus says it's what will show the world God's love. Is our love one for another, right? And that's why, as we live for Christ, we've got to learn to love. We've got to learn to love each other. Go to Acts chapter 16. To me, this is... Uh, one of the greatest examples of contending as one man for the faith of the gospel. Of course, the book of Acts is our history book of our first century brothers and sisters. It shows the formation of God's church on earth. It shows the growth numerically, the spread geographically around the world. And it also shows how they dealt with problems and how they dealt with persecution. It is our greatest guide, if we want to build God's church in the 21st century, is being able to read what our brothers and sisters did in the first century. So here, in Acts 16, verse 9, it says this. During the night, Paul had a vision. A man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Isn't that awesome? This is what it means to contend as one man for the faith of the gospel. Who got the vision? Paul. You mean... They didn't all get the vision? They didn't all wake up? Paul goes, hey guys, I had a vision last night. Really? Was, was the guy wearing white? Yeah. Somebody else, really? Did he have sandals? No, that's not how it went down. Only Paul had the vision. But then what does Luke write? We got ready at once. We got ready at once. That's a lot of trust. They trusted Paul. Now, I'm not saying anybody comes around and says, hey, I got a vision, you should get ready at once. That's not what I'm saying. We have to live and learn, amen. But I am saying, all that I care about for the rest of my life, it's not where I live, it's who I'm with. 
that I'm with some faithful brothers and sisters, that we trust each other's hearts, and that we can follow that vision, and we can go help people. You know, what was Paul's vision? A guy saying, please come over here and help us. Please come help us. That's the Christian life, is we get to help people. And I always ask people, I say, do you see the need? That's number one. Do you see the need? Number two, do you believe you can help meet that need? Or maybe the better question is, do you believe God can use little OU to help meet the need? Because if we see the need and we believe we can help, then why are we still talking? That's it. But one of the keys here is it says, Paul had the vision, and we got ready at once, concluding Paul had called us to go preach to them. Is that what it says? That's not what it says. We got ready at once, concluding God had called us to preach the gospel to them. When I was studying the Bible, the guy studying the Bible with me said, Chris, I want to share something with you, and I don't want you to get a big head about it. Okay? So he's about to give me some vision, but he didn't want me to think I was all that, right? He said, I've been praying, me and this other brother, we've been praying to meet a guy, and he, he listed several things that was just hit, matched me, a guy that would blank, 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 that would not just become a disciple, but that would become an evangelist in the kingdom of God. And I believe it's you. This during my Bible studies. I wasn't even counting the cost yet. You, you with me? <laughs> From that moment on, there was no other dream in my heart except to, to be an evangelist in the kingdom of God. And I don't believe Larry put that there because it was his prayer. I believe that was God's call. And so what we have to do is we have to search our relationship with God. And we have to fight to be together with people, perhaps in the small groups, right? Where we're contending as one man together for the faith of the gospel. This has been my greatest joy being in Manchester. Manchester is, is a church full of incredible brothers and sisters. Come visit us uh, sometime in the north of England, right? And we'll have some tea. You know, it'll be great. But um, I, being there, it was a church that hadn't had full-time leadership in a couple years. They'd had some brothers and sisters uh, working together on a leadership team, did a great job kind of holding the church together, but they hadn't had leadership. And honestly, in about 15 years since that time in our churches, there had been a drift. And so we're kind of at the same place, you know. Uh, Reese and I talk. I know the call recently back to commitment to the meetings of the body, small group ministry, discipling relationships. We've done exactly the same thing there in Manchester. But when they hear the word discipleship, or better yet, D group, it's like twitches start happening, you know. There are triggers. And there are bad memories. You know what? That breaks my heart, guys. 
Because to me, discipleship is the, one of the greatest words I've ever heard. It's, it's saved my soul. Are you with me? But I know where it comes from. I got a, a text recently from a brother I used to be able to have a discipling relationship in, in another city. And he said, he said, Chris, I really miss you. I miss the fun we had. That bond of friendship in discipling is rare these days. I thought, bond of friendship is rare in discipling? That's all discipling is. It's friendship. It's friendship with a purpose, isn't it? I love discipleship. One of our greatest joys in Manchester, I've been meeting with a group of guys every Monday night, about a dozen guys. Where'd I get that from? That's a pretty good idea. And I've been meeting with these brothers that really had, had, had drifted. They were all leading family groups, but even they weren't close because they never really met together. You know, we went from meeting all the time to not really meeting. And I said, guys, we don't need to meet to meet. We need to meet to be close. And so we've started getting together on Monday night and, and just building our relationships, building faith. Um, how else are you going to have one mind or one heart or one spirit or contend as one man if you don't even know what each other think or feel? You don't even know each other's convictions or confessions. You know what I mean? And so we started doing this, and then we'd go to church, and there'd be good news sharing, and when they go, we had a D group. What? It was amazing. What? It was, you know what I'm saying? And to see people come back to life, that's why we went to Manchester. We told the church when we interviewed, I want to come so your joy overflows, your faith overflows, your boasting in Christ overflows. If not, Teresa and I don't need to come here. That's why we want to come. So to see the joy coming back, the friendship coming back, and now those dozen guys, I've paired them up two by two. I wonder where I got that from. And they've all gone out, and they each have a house church. Not alone, but two by two. So they're not trying to do it alone. They have a partner, right? We need each other. And they're building. And we've seen so many miracles. Just since we arrived, we've seen a mother baptize her daughter, a father baptize his son. Just last Sunday, an incredible guy got baptized. It's incredible because he's my age. 51. Proud of it. He used to um, fly in, what do you call it, a tornado attack aircraft during des Desert Storm. Right? He wasn't the guy in the front. He was the guy in the back. He was the, the weapons system officer in the back of the plane. And just a really cool guy. And now um, we got to meet him and study the Bible with him. He's from Liverpool, which is about an hour away. We have uh, a few disciples there that drive up to Manchester for church every week. And he got up to the mic last Sunday, and he said, very simply, he said, I'm a taxi driver. I'm a hybrid Brit South African. I've made a mess of my life, and this is where I start fixing things. And you just say, Amen. That's what it's all about. 
And he said, and I got to thank Mark and Sal Chen. Now, Mark and Sal Chen are an incredible couple in the church. They live in Liverpool, and they operate in a cafe there. So whenever their people come in to order, you know, and to sit and eat, they just preach the gospel to them. And Mark is a no-nonsense guy, right? He's the kind of guy you might feel uncomfortable sharing your faith with. Because it's not, it's not, hey, how you doing? It's, he's just going to get right in there with his customers. So how's the meal? Okay, you're doing what? No, the Bible says this is what you need to do. <laughs> I'm not kidding. But he's baptized two great guys in the last couple months from the cafe. And he always gets up and says, okay, this is Joe. He likes to order the noodles with da-da-da. <laughs> and he's come to make Jesus Lord today. You know what I mean? <laughs> but that, that's the joy and that's what, it, that's what it's all about. Right, guys? It's, it's, it's the chance to serve and love. And there's such a great need. There's such a great need. I want to remind you that Satan has led the whole world astray. And Matthew 24 says, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of some will grow cold. The love of many will grow cold. The love of most will grow cold. In working with people that have drifted, I've found a lot. This is one of the first things they've admitted to me. I know my love has grown cold. Amen? If we can just understand that, that that's what the devil wants. Christ says, John 13, 34, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. So what would the devil's goal be but to make our love grow cold? Because of that increase, of wickedness. You know, I believe with all my heart that we've got to open our eyes. And again, that video, that welcome video, wow. I said, I said Reese, where'd you get that? <laughs> you know, because wouldn't it be great if we could just walk around and see signs like that? Why, where are the signs? You know, we need signs. Okay, well, I guess they're right here. We need to make sure we're reading this and we'll see the signs. Brothers and sisters, it's been such an honor and a joy to get to speak to you a little bit, to get to share my heart with you. We, we pray for this ministry, our sons in this ministry. It's dear to us, and uh, we're grateful that we can have brothers and sisters like this across the world. Love is the answer. Love is still the answer, and love will always be the answer. Amen? Let's pray. God and Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you so much for life and breath and the opportunity to come and worship you and hear your word. Father, so often we don't feel adequate. We know we're not adequate. And Father, yet I know that's, that's why you pour so much mercy down on us. My prayer for, for this ministry is that they'll be encouraged and empowered and to understand that Father, they are your vessel. They are your chosen instrument. 
And I pray that you will fill their hearts full of love. It will overflow. That their joy, their boasting in who you are will spread through Glendale and through this city, Father. Thank you so much for forgiving our sins, for bringing us into this incredible kingdom. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.